0: Psalm number 214 has been selected and chosen, and please mark that, and we'll use that at the bit later in the service this morning. It is indeed such a refreshing thing to be able to come together on this first day of the week. I realize that our gospel meeting, of course, took place beginning last Sunday and continued on through, uh, on through Wednesday. And as Brother Roger mentioned in the announcements, we certainly were blessed with powerful lessons, we were blessed with spirited singing in so many ways. Quite a few comments were shared relative to that fact, in fact. We also noticed that much fellowship, not only from the meal on Sunday, but all throughout the week, a host of visitors came our way. Certainly, it would be fair to say that all the invitations that you extended, all the opportunities afforded and those statements inviting others to come were well received. The attendance was, in fact, a very good thing in terms of helping to share the good news of the gospel. As Brother Carl mentioned in that letter that he sent to us, hopefully each of us can take the thoughts, the fellowship, the lessons, the powerful reality of that meeting and use it to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. And may we also be able to use it in such a way that we can press on toward the prize of the calling of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.14. As we come today to a consideration of a portion of the Word of God, I would invite you to think at least briefly about that text that was just read in our hearing a moment ago. Jeff read for us from verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3, "...and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him." That prompts a very good question that I would invite each of us to consider today. What is it that makes service acceptable to God? What are the requirements? What are the criteria such that service done is acceptable to him? After all, isn't that a very noble question? Isn't it a very important one? If we fail to appreciate that question and its answer, it puts us, in fact, in a very, very dangerous condition at the very least. What would happen if on the day of judgment you and I appear and say, But I did this. Did I not do that? And it was all in your name. And only to hear Him say, I'm sorry, it was not in my name. I never knew you. I know you not. For the next few moments this morning, I would invite you to think with me about acceptable service. What, according to the Bible, leads service to be considered acceptable to God. If in fact we answer that, we shall then know what service is not acceptable to Him. And for the next few moments, I would invite us to first give thought to this. There are many in our world who would be very quick to say, but isn't all service acceptable? No doubt many of those that are your co-workers, your friends, your neighbors, and mine would be quick to say, but if my heart is earnest and if my thought process is genuine and honest, surely God will accept that. Surely that kind of service will not be looked upon in a way that's unacceptable to him. Think with me about some of these comments, if you would. That kind of thinking is not just prevalent in religious discussion, is it? More than once, I have had a student to come to my office, perhaps meeting me after class, as the semester draws to its close and say, I've been to nearly every class. Surely that's deserving of a passing grade perhaps an employee i've been here every day surely that's deserving of a promotion surely that's worthy of a pay increase maybe in religious circles if you borrow that same kind of thinking but god i was there at the church services at least once a week for years surely that's good enough is that not means whereby service can be considered acceptable no matter what other details may be the case? After all, aren't many quick then to say that our God is so gracious and He is so righteous and He is so merciful and loving that does that not then mean clearly that He would accept anything as long as it's done with a genuine and honest heart? In Psalm 136, verse number 1, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is merciful, for His mercy endureth forever. That's also repeated in Psalm 107, verse 1. In all of those considerations, perhaps it takes us to Psalm 112, verse 4. God is there described as being righteous, full of compassion, and merciful. None of us would question or doubt those attributes of God even for a moment with any consideration of the Word, with any consideration of the nature of His being and character, surely we mustn't doubt that. But it's also true, isn't it, that just because a student showed up for every class period doesn't mean that he or she has mastered the material well enough to earn a passing grade. Surely it's true that just because an employee was there on the clock doesn't mean the work done was of sufficient quality that it was of sufficient nature that he or she was worthy of a raise and maybe even was worthy of being terminated. And so it is in religion, isn't it? That just because we make the claim that something is done in His name doesn't mean that on His part it's acceptable. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, "...not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven." but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. We find from the lips of our Savior on that occasion the explicit reference and answer to the point that we just raised. Here were individuals. Let's take them one at a time. Here was an individual who directly claimed to prophesy in the name of the Lord. That's what the Lord said the person would claim. Have we not prophesied in thy name? We've taught. We've preached. We have engaged in other kinds of activity all involved in your name. Another one would say, we've cast out devils, demons in your name. Is that not religious service? Is that not service whereby one would appreciate connection to something religious? On the third case, have we not done many wonderful works? We have fed the hungry. We've built hospitals. We've engaged in trash pickup beside the roadway, all in your name. Interesting, isn't it? Here was service done in a religious character, it seems. Service that was rendered, perhaps many hours invested over the course of a lifetime. In verse 23, Jesus responded, But I profess unto them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Whereas they thought that what was done was religious and that it was acceptable, he said, Not only was it not acceptable, you workers of iniquity, it was unacceptable. Just as surely as that student with a passing grade didn't make it. Just as surely as the individual and employee was let go due to failures and inadequacies. We find here that there were some that despite what they thought, the service was unacceptable. No wonder that leads us back to the question with which we began the lesson. What then is acceptable service and how do I know? Does the Word of God reveal to you and me some criteria, some characteristics whereby we can determine whether service is acceptable or not. The answer to that is a yes, and over the next few moments, let's look at what some of these criteria are. First of all, let's look back to the very passage to which we just referred in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. I've entitled that one, Known by the Lord. Jesus began that response by saying, Then will I profess unto them... Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The interesting thing about that is notice what the Lord did not say. He didn't say you weren't honest. He didn't say you weren't genuine. He didn't say you weren't earnest. He didn't say you didn't invest enough time in it. They again may have invested loads of hours over the course of decades. That wasn't the point. The point was, I never knew you. They did not have a relationship with the God of heaven. They did not have a relationship with the wonderful Son of God. It would seem that that point must be an interesting and initial one in our listing, known by the Lord. If you give some thought to what that indicates, isn't it amazing in 1 John 5 verse number 20 that we are reminded that the Son of God has come to give us an understanding that we may know Him. To this day, isn't it truly one of the most remarkable things that you and I can come to know the Son of God? Oh, we can know many things in this life. We can know a lot about car mechanics, cabinetry, cooking, you name it. But no knowledge is more special, no knowledge is more worthwhile, no knowledge is more rich in its meaning than the knowledge of the Lord. Here Jesus said, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you they never entered into a relationship with Him such that their works could be a candidate for acceptability. This is step one. In order to be known by Him, perhaps that reminds us of 2 Timothy 2.19. The Lord knows knows those that are His. At this point, what about being known by Him? What's required? It takes us to obedience to that gospel plan of salvation, doesn't it? You and I are known by Him when we're a part of His family, when we are those who have in fact been baptized into Him. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, that man Nicodemus that came to our Savior by night and entered into a discussion with Him, we find the following statements that were made. Jesus began by saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven we find immediately the requirement of a rebirth, being born again. But what's more, Nicodemus and countless others through the centuries have been confused, for he said, how is it that a man is born again? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus in verse 5 replied, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. This matter then of rebirth by spirit and by water is the very thought that leads us to appreciate so many passages such as these. In Galatians 3, beginning in verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How then does one put on Christ? To put on Christ is to put one in a position whereby God would at least know you. To put on Christ. The waters in baptism are required. The like figure to even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3 verse 21. The first step then that must be considered in order for works to be acceptable is to be known by Him. Are you and I those who are Christians... Have you, my friend, had your sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? If not, no service that you will ever render will be acceptable to God in a religious sense. Jesus would just as easily to you on that day of judgment be able to say, I never knew you. It doesn't matter what you may have accomplished. You may have built hospitals, fed the hungry, gone on worldwide care tours. It matters not. You must be known by Him, and you must come to know Him as well. At this point, might we say this, once an individual is known by the Lord, once a person has rendered obedience to that gospel plan of salvation, what then about the service that that person might render? Are there more criteria of acceptability? Look at another one with me. There are some other passages that harmonize to lead us in this direction. This characteristic of being known by the Lord, I'm sure that you and your mind have already given thought to some places in which that statement is found. I'd like you to read them with me. In 1 John chapter 2, we find the inspired apostle speaking in the following way. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 3. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. We noted earlier then that it is important for our service to be acceptable, for you and me to be known by the Lord. But now we have heard John tell us in very plain language that that knowledge and that knowing of the Lord demands that we obey what He has said. Again, the wording is very clear, isn't it? Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Once we are baptized into Christ, that begins a lifelong journey. It begins, in fact, an eternal journey whereby we maintain and sustain a relationship with the very One who forgave us our sins And the one who, of course, is preparing a place in heaven for those that are faithful. We must continue to be obedient. I've highlighted that in some of these words. Knowing the Lord and obedience go hand in hand. The wording of verse number 4 is as blunt as perhaps any that's found in the whole New Testament. Isn't it true that there could have been many in that day as well as many in ours who say, but I know Him. I feel it right here. You will never tell me that my service isn't acceptable. Friend, it isn't with me or with a human being you're arguing. He says, if you know Him, you will keep His commandments, period. That isn't for you and me to say or contradict. The Lord has dictated it. Those who thus go on feelings perhaps should remember that the heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17, 9. Aren't we reminded here? He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. That person may be speaking with a greatness of earnestness, but they're lying. What they feel contradicts what this asserts. We notice then that our service to be acceptable requires not only an initial obedience, but it requires a continued obedience along that consideration. Some additional thoughts along that line would be these. Let's make some specific application. How many times in the sacred text do we encounter passages that remind us of this? There were those in Leviticus chapter 10 who apparently felt as if what they were doing was acceptable. Nadab and Abihu were their names, and their names have now lived for centuries as testimonies to this. They were not, in fact, doing what God said. They offered strange fire which God commanded them not. As a result, we remember their lives were taken at that moment. What might be some principles or helpful thoughts for us? An individual who claims to know the Lord but then, in their acts of obedience and worship, do something otherwise. Not following His commands, injecting what they prefer, turning things into a matter of something else. Notice, He said, they, 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4, we know Him when and only when we keep His commandments. You'll notice it not only in terms of worship, but look at another exposition in general service. We were told in John four twenty four that worship must be in spirit and in truth. That word truth, is that not a reminder of the needfulness of our careful following of those commands that God has given? I suppose it is one of the strongest tendencies of human character. In fact, it seems from an early age on, we don't want to listen to what dad and mom say, I want to do it my way. I want to do what I prefer when I think so. But yet, following God in a trustful and obedient way means doing what He says, when He said to do it, the way He said to do it. We can't substitute any of the three. That means that when God has given commandments, we must not only do what He said, but we must do it when He said to do it and for the reason He said to do it. If we do it for some other reason the way He said, we're still injecting our preferences and we're injecting what we think. Jesus did say, didn't He, in verse 21 of Matthew 7, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. How many on the day of judgment are going to be shocked, surprised? They've lived 60, 70, 80 years fully thinking that what they were doing was acceptable service, only to hear that day, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. You and I thus have a great challenge in charge, don't we? We've learned that for service to be acceptable first, we must be known by the Lord. Second, we must continue in obedience. I must admit that point number three, as you can already see on that slide, sounds very similar to point two, but it seems as if enough additional information is delivered to us that it was worthy of some additional comment. I'd like you to turn with me to Amos we find in that book a very telling situation exactly worthy of the description of what we find this morning. The book of Amos. The book of Amos is a rather brief book, one of the minor prophets there near the end of the Old Testament. And there's a set of verses I would invite you to read with me out of that particular book in the Old Testament. Specifically, look with me to chapters 2 and 3. At least we'll start our discussion here. We find in the opening chapters of Amos a description of various nations who themselves were guilty of transgression and sin, and as such God said that He would bring forth judgment upon them. That was the way in which the book began. You then come to chapter number 3, in which statement is made now about the children of Israel. Here was the, the nation of Judah. They too were in need of following after the Lord, and they too were guilty of transgression. You might ask, what were some of their transgressions? Were they guilty of murder? Were they guilty of kidnapping? Were they guilty of adultery? Let's let him describe the sins of which some of them were guilty. Turn with me now, please, to chapter 5. Beginning in verse 14. "'Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken.'" "'Hate the evil, and love the good, and establish judgment in the gate, "'and it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. "'Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord saith thus, "'Wailing shall be in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, "'Alas, alas! "'And they shall call the husbandman to mourning, "'and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing. "'And in all vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord.' Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord! To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him, shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? We'll finish that chapter in a moment, but to this point, Amos... The great prophet spokesman for God has delivered the fact that this people had turned their attention to bad instead of good, evil instead of right. God encouraged them in verse 14, love what is right. Now let's see what the consequences of this were. Verse 21, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the song of thy, the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. Let's pause there and note this. We might ask, here was a group of people, those who knew the law of the Lord but who had been rather derelict in keeping it. Their life was not a testimony to judgment and goodness. They too often had been given over to things that in a social way were unacceptable, taking bribes, being false in the balances. You go to a merchant and he gives you less than what you paid for. That kind of thing was going on in ancient Judah. Verse 21 said, I hate your feast days. You come together on the Sabbath and you offer me burnt offerings and peace offerings and I will not accept them. Interesting, isn't it? Here were people that went to the trouble of slaying the animal, bringing it to the tabernacle, even having it offered. But God said, I won't accept it. Why? Were they not known by Him? What was the problem? Problem was, their lives were not faithful. Though they were members of this community that knew the Lord, their lives were not reflections of what they were supposed to be. Shall we call them hollow shells? Shall we call them hypocrites? Whatever the word that fits, perhaps that's in order. They were not faithful in their living, and when they came together to worship, God would not accept it. Did you notice in verse 23, he even went so far as to say... Those songs that you're singing, they're just noise to me. When songs were noise, I wonder for you and me personally, are there times when we come together on, the, on Sunday and though we're uttering words from our lips, does God consider my songs as noise? Does He consider your songs as noise because your life is not faithful? Because we have turned our back on the Lord, we've begun to live in ways that are mere pleasant and pleasing to us and not in keeping with His commands. In order for our service to be acceptable, we not only must be known by Him and obedient to Him, but that must be characteristic of a life of faithfulness. But then that brings us to one more. One final consideration... As you notice as this slide translates to the next one there is a set of passages in 1st Corinthians 13 that perhaps were already resting on your mind at some point in 1st Corinthians chapter 13 let's notice with care the first 3 verses of that chapter this is arguably the most well-known chapter in 1st Corinthians in the sense that it is the love chapter in the Bible Paul not only gives an operational definition of love, but he closes that chapter by saying there are three great things that remain. And we've all heard those for years what they are. But of those three, love is the greatest. Let's revisit, though, perhaps the most unknown verses of that chapter, the first three. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Paul begins his description of love in this chapter in a rather profound way, doesn't he? Of course, as prompted by the Holy Spirit, he begins by saying, If I speak with the tongues of men and even of angels, if you or I were able to speak in all the hundreds of languages known around this planet, and even if we were to speak in the language of angels, if we are not prompted by love as we do so, he goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, It is as nothing. Note verse number 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, if you or I were the greatest orators the world has ever known, if you and I were blessed with the capability of appreciation of mysteries, even profound and great ones, scientifically or otherwise, furthermore, if we had all knowledge, if you or I knew everything about every subject, he says, if we are not prompted by love, as we employ that skill and talent, he says it is as nothing. Verse 2 goes on to say this, if our faith was of sufficient strength that we could even move mountains upon command, if we still are not prompted by love, he does say, doesn't he, that I am nothing. Verse 3 continues his listing like this, even if I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, If I give everything that I own, every shirt that I've got, simply to feed those that are destitute, those that are afflicted, those that are hungry. He furthermore says in verse 3, Even if I give my body to be burned. There are those in the Asian part of the world who do that very thing. I'm told, in fact I saw a picture of it once. This individual will freely make the following statement. Pour gasoline on themselves and strike a match. And sit there while you watch them burn to death. All because they're given to Buddhism. All because they think in that element of service they are giving the ultimate sacrifice and they are doing the ultimate thing required for eternal service. Paul said, even if I give my body to be burned, unless it's prompted by love, it profits me nothing. May I submit to you that in addition to being known by the Lord and in addition to a life of faithful service, characterized by obedience, you and I must be prompted by love. What kind of love? Didn't the Lord say in in Mark 12 verse 30, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And the second command, love thy neighbor as thyself. Matthew's version of that highlights those, all the law hangs on, the, on them. We furthermore appreciate brotherly love as it's exemplified in 2 Peter 1 verse 6. And we see the nature of that love as it's highlighted in this chapter before us. When we think about love, certainly we must love the Lord. We mentioned in prayer this morning how thankful we are and how loving we are toward God for what He's done for us. Allowing Christ to die on the cross for our sins, that is love. Do we love Him in return? Do we show by gratitude, faithfulness, and thankfulness that attribute of appreciation for the love they've shown to us? Herein is love not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. First John 4 verse 10. That reminds us, as we come near the close of this lesson, the exhortations that I've listed at the bottom of that slide. There perhaps are three that might be noted. You and I are prompted in each of those passages to serve by love. Let our faith be shown as we love the Lord, love His will, and strive to do it to the best of our capability. I would submit to you that just like we mentioned at the outset of the lesson, just because a student attends class doesn't mean he'll pass it. And just because an employee shows up to work doesn't mean he or she will be promoted. So too it is that just because we go through a motion or two doesn't mean our service will be acceptable. You and I must be known to the Lord. We must live a life of faithfulness as we serve Him obediently. And we must let love be the prompting motivation that brings us to do all of that. Did you and I come here this morning because we love to worship? Did we come here this morning because we love the Lord and we love His Word and we want to do what He's commanded? Or did we just come because it's the habit for Sunday morning? That is a good question. What's your answer and what's mine? Will we come back tonight at the 5.30 hour because we love serving Him in worship? Or will we just come because we think we're supposed to? Well, we come back Wednesday night because we love the Lord and we love to learn more about His Word and we love to appreciate the sacrifice of the Master. Is love the prompting motivation? When we feed the hungry, is it for love or do we just want them to congratulate us for what we've done? Jesus did say in Matthew 6 that for those who fast and those who give alms and those who pray just to be seen and heard of men, they've already got their reward. May you and I let love be the motivating factor. And if today you've been, by the nature of these songs or the lesson we've shared, you've been shown that things are not right between you and God, why not make it right today? If you are not one that's known by the Lord, you need to obey that gospel initially. Believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His great name as the Son of God, and be baptized. Once you do that, be obedient and faithful until death, Revelation 2.10. If you've stumbled and fallen in a public way, others know about sins that you've committed. Come forward today and let us pray on your behalf. If we could be of helpfulness to you this very day, why not let that be known if you would while together we stand and sing the chosen song.